Hello and welcome to Scintillating Stories. In this show we read short stories by a variety of authors. Today we read some tales by Franz Kafka. He's best known for his criticism of systems that seem to only exist to perpetuate themselves and highlighting our abilities to affect change. Poseidon Poseidon sat at his desk doing figures. The administration of all the waters gave him endless work. He could have had assistants, as many as he wanted, and he did have very many, but since he took his job very seriously, he would in the end go over all the figures and calculations himself, and thus his assistants were of little help to him. It cannot be said that he enjoyed his work. He did it only because it had been assigned to him. In fact, he had already filled many petitions for, as he put it, more cheerful work. But every time the offer of something different was made to him, it turned out that nothing was suited to him quite as well as his present position. And anyhow, it was quite difficult to find something different for him. After all, it was impossible to assign him to a particular sea, aside from the fact that even then the work with figures would not grow less, but only prettier. The great Poseidon could, in any case, occupy only an executive position, and when a job away from the water was offered to him, he would get sick at the very prospect. His divine breathing would become troubled, and his brazen chest begin to tremble. Besides, his complaints were not really taken seriously. When one of the mighty is vexatious, the appearance of an effort must be made to placate him, even when the case is most hopeless. In actuality, a shift of posts was unthinkable for Poseidon. He had been appointed god of the sea in the beginning, and that he had to remain. What irritated him most, and it was this that was chiefly responsible for his dissatisfaction with his job, was to hear the conceptions formed about him, how he was always riding about through the tides with his trident, when... All the while, he sat here in the depths of the world ocean, doing figures uninterruptedly, with now and then a trip to Jupiter as the only break in the monotony. A trip, moreover, from which he usually returned in a rage. Thus he had hardly seen the sea, had seen it but fleetingly in the course of hurried ascents to Olympus, and he had never actually travelled around it. He was in the habit of saying that what he was waiting for was the fall of the world. Then, probably, a quiet moment would yet be granted, in which, before the end, and after having checked the last row of figures, he would be able to make a quick little tour. Poseidon became bored with the sea. He let fall his trident. Silently he sat on the rocky coast, and a gull, dazed by his presence, described wavering circles around his head. The Silence of Sirens Proof that inadequate, even childish measures may serve to rescue one from peril. To protect oneself from sirens, Ulysses stopped his ears with wax and had himself bound to the mast of the ship. Naturally, any and every traveller before him could have done the same, except those whom the sirens allured even from a great distance. But it was known to all the world that such things were of no help whatever. The song of the sirens could pierce through everything, and the longing of those they seduced would have broken far stronger bonds than chains and masts. 
but Ulysses did not think of that, although he had probably heard of it. He trusted absolutely to his handful of wax and his fathom of chain, and in innocent elation over his little stratagem sailed out to meet the sirens. Now the sirens have a still more fatal weapon than their song, namely their silence. And though admittedly such a thing has never happened, still it is conceivable that someone might possibly have escaped from their singing, but from their silence, certainly never. Against the feeling of having triumphed over them by one's own strength and the consequent exultation that bears down everything before it, no earthly powers can resist. And when Ulysses approached them, the potent songstresses actually did not sing whether because they thought that this enemy could be vanquished only by their silence, or because the look of bliss on the face of Ulysses, who was thinking of nothing but his wax and his chains, made them forget their singing. But Ulysses, if one may so express it, did not hear their silence. He thought they were singing, and that he alone did not hear them. For a fleeting moment he saw their throats rising and falling, their breasts lifting, their eyes filled with tears, their lips half-parted. He believed that these were accompaniments to the airs which died unheard around him. Soon, however, all this faded from his sight as he fixed his gaze on the distance. The sirens literally vanished before his resolution, and at that very moment when they were nearest to him, he knew of them no longer. But they, lovelier than ever, stretched their necks and turned, let their awesome hair flutter free in the wind, and freely stretched their claws on the rocks. They no longer had any desire to allure. All that they wanted was to hold as long as they could the radiance that fell from Ulysses' great eyes. If sirens had possessed consciousness, they would have been annihilated at that moment, but they remained as they had been. All that had happened was that Ulysses had escaped them. A codicil to the foregoing has also been handed down. Ulysses, it is said, was so full of guile, was such a fox, that not even the goddess of fate could pierce his armour. Perhaps he had really noticed, although here the human understanding is beyond its depth, that the sirens were silent, and held up to them and to the gods the aforementioned pretense, merely as a sort of shield. The Bucket Rider Coal all spent, the bucket empty, the shovel useless, the stove breathing out cold, the room freezing, the trees outside the window rigid, covered with rime, the sky a silver shield against anyone who looks for help from it. I must have coal, I cannot freeze to death, Behind me is the pitiless stove, before me the pitiless sky, so I must ride out between them and on my journey seek aid from the coal dealer. But he has already grown deaf to ordinary appeals. I must prove irrefutably to him that I have not a single grain of coal left, and that he means to me the very sun in the firmament. I must approach like a beggar, who, with death rattle already in his throat, insists on dying on the doorstep, to whom the cook accordingly decides to give the dregs of the coffee-pot. Just so must the coal-dealer, filled with rage but acknowledging the command, Thou shalt not kill, fling a shovelful of coal in my bucket." My mode of arrival must decide the matter. 
So I ride off on the bucket, seated on the bucket, my hands on the handle, the simplest kind of bridle. I propel myself with difficulty down the stairs, but once downstairs my bucket ascends superbly, superbly. Camels humbly squatting on the ground do not rise with more dignity, shaking themselves under the sticks of their drivers. Through the hard, frozen streets we go at a regular canter. Often I am upraised as high as the first story of a house. Never do I sink as low as the house doors. And at last I float at an extraordinary height above the vaulted cellar of the dealer whom I see far below, crouching over his table where he is writing. He has opened the door to let out the excessive heat. Coal dealer, I cry in a voice, burnt hollow by the frost and muffled in the cloud by my breath. Please, coal dealer, give me a little coal. My bucket is so light that I can ride on it. Be kind. When I can, I'll pay you. The dealer puts his hand to his ear. Do I hear right? He throws the question over his shoulder to his wife. Do I hear right? A customer? I hear nothing says his wife, breathing in and out peacefully while she knits on, her back pleasantly warmed by the heat. Oh yes, you must hear, I cry. It's me, an old customer, faithful and true, only without means at the moment. Wife, says the dealer. It's someone, it must be. My ears can't have deceived me so much as that. It must be an old, a very old customer that can move me so deeply. "'What ails you, man?' says his wife, ceasing from her work for a moment and pressing her knitting to her bosom. "'It's nobody. The street is empty. All the customers are provided for. We could close down the shop for several days and take a rest.' "'But I'm sitting here on the bucket!' I cry, and numb, frozen tears dim my eyes. "'Please look up here just once. You'll see me directly. I beg you. Just a shovelful, and if you'll give me more, it'll make me so happy that I won't know what to do. All the other customers are provided for. Oh, if I could only hear the coal clattering into the bucket!' "'I'm coming,' says the coal dealer, and on his short legs he makes to climb the steps of the cellar. But his wife is already beside him, holds him back by the arm, and says, "'You stay here!' Seeing you persist in your fancies, I'll go myself. Think of the bad fit of coughing you had during the night. But for a piece of business, even if it's one you've only fancied in your head, you'll prepare to forget your wife and child and sacrifice your lungs. I'll go, and be sure to tell them all the kinds of coal we have in stock. I'll shout out the prices for you. Right, says his wife, climbing up to the street. Naturally, she sees me at once. Frau Coal Dealer! My humble greetings. Just one shovelful of coal here in my bucket. I'll carry it home myself. One shovelful of the worst you have. I'll pay you in full for it. But of course, not just now. Not just now. What a knell-like sound the words, not just now, have. And how bewitchingly they mingle with the evening chimes that fall from the church steeple nearby. Well, what does he want? shouts the dealer. Nothing. His wife shouts back, There's nothing here. I see nothing, I hear nothing. Only six striking. And now we must shut up the shop. The cold is terrible. Tomorrow we'll likely have lots to do again. She sees nothing and hears nothing. But all the same, she loosens her apron strings and waves her apron to waft me away. She succeeds, unluckily. My bucket has all the virtues of a good steed except powers of resistance. 
which it has not. It is too light. A woman's apron can make it fly through the air. You bad woman, I shout back, while she, turning into the shop, half contemptuous, half reassured, flourishes her fist in the air. You bad woman, I begged you for a shovelful of the worst coal, and you would not give it me. And with that, I ascend into the regions of the ice mountains, and am lost forever. Thank you so much for listening. These stories can be read online. I'll leave a link in the description. If you want to suggest or submit a short story or a subject you'd like us to cover, then contact us through our Facebook page or Twitter, and subscribe if you would like to hear more. This has been a Yorick Radio production, 